0: Well, it's great to be with you in this way today. I want to encourage you to grab your Bibles wherever you're tuning in from. Welcome. Uh, Disciples Church uh, is blessed to be in our 131st year of ministry here in Bakersfield, California. Um, The Lord is at work in many wonderful ways. We're very privileged to be part of his eternal family and to be doing the gospel work, disciple making. He's called us to. Um, We are in the middle of our sermon series through the wonderful letter of Ephesians. If you will turn there in your Bible to the New Testament letter of Ephesians. Uh, We continue today in chapter 2. And I'll be preaching verse 11 and 12 today. As you turn there, I want to share with you a testimony that I read that I think sets up our time in God's Word today really well. A a well-known Bible teacher... Harry Ironside tells a story of a time when he was on a train to go preach. And in his train trip, a lady approached him and the gentleman that he was with. And she said, gentlemen, gentlemen, if you'll cross my palm with silver, I will tell you your past, your present, and your future. He responded to her offer with, that's not necessary, I have already been told my past, my present, and my future from an expert. He then proceeded to pull out his New Testament and read to her from Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, he said, Here is my past, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air." The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. The woman said, That is plenty. I do not want to hear any more. But Ironside said, But wait, here is my present. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, 4-6 No more, she protested. But Ironside kept on, saying, Here is my future. Ephesians two seven, So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. By this point she was up on her feet and beginning to move down the aisle of the train murmuring under her breath, I picked the wrong man. I picked the wrong man. For the sake of reminding us of the next few verses that lead us up to where we pick up today in verse 11. Let me read to you verse 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2 1 through 10 is such a powerful testimony of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, the gracious work of a holy God to save undeserving sinners into eternal glory. What a gift these words are to our souls, church. I pray the work that we've done in the last 10 weeks to preach through these 10 verses have built a true foundation under your feet for who you were in sin, who you are in Christ, and who you will be with God forever. As we turn to the second half of the chapter now, Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is going to essentially highlight the past present and future of his listeners again but his focus is going to add another layer of emphasis this time around that is he's going to highlight that his listeners are specifically gentiles who were saved by grace through faith in christ today we will see the wonderful reality that jesus brings for all who believe in him alone all who are in the new covenant of our Lord. For as Paul makes clear in Galatians chapter 3, 26 through 29, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Church, those who are saved by faith in Christ are reconciled to God and the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. That he would have a worldwide offspring that would be heirs of the promise of God. The promise that God would redeem a worldwide people through the work of the Messiah. All who are saved by grace through faith in Christ are heirs of the promise. We are the eternal children of God. This is good news for our soul. I will also say the timing of our God-ordained arrival at this text is also particularly sweet, a sweet gift, considering that we've just finished uh, an amazing journey um, that Elder Matt walked us through in his faithful work to teach us about the covenants of God. I pray that Matt's teaching has been a great blessing to you, and with it under your belt, our arrival in Scripture to places like this and are more sweet and clear. As one of your shepherds, I ask you, if you've not yet taken the time to start and or complete Matt's teaching on covenant theology, that you would make it a true priority in the coming weeks. It will be so good for your faith. And we'll give you a much better understanding of God's holy word for a lifetime to come. With these things under our feet, let's dive into verse 11 and 12 today. Pray with me as we dig into God's word. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this wonderful gift of your written word. To study, to know it, to know you. That we would worship you that we would live for you. Lord, help us to repent of all the ways that we've made our Christian faith what we want it to be, how we want it to look. But instead, God, you would give us clarity. You would give us biblical wisdom and insight that we would be obedient to you, that we'd understand truly what we've come out of, who we are in Christ, and what we look forward to in our life and eternity to come. Lord, I thank you for the faithful work of Paul and these words to enrich our soul and stir our affections for you. Teach us, lead us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11 begins with, Therefore, remember. Paul just finished one of the most clear and pointed declarations for how God saves. And what it means for the undeserving sinner to be saved by God's amazing grace, as we saw in verse 1 through 10. Now, verse 11, Paul says, therefore, or you could say, because of the things I've just said, because they're true, and true of you who belong to Christ, he says, remember, This is a rare imperative statement in this letter. An imperative statement is advice or direction to the listener. After 33 verses of indicative statements, those are statements of fact, Paul gives us something specific to do, to remember. This is a super important way that God ordains the writers of Scripture to direct us. Imperatives like repent or believe always follow clear, indicative statements about God's grace, His sovereign work, especially in the work of Christ on our behalf. If we get the indicative facts of the gospel wrong or the imperative commands that follow wrong, we get the gospel wrong. If we do this or that without clarity about what God has done, then our doing can become nothing more than moralistic conformity. If we obey commands to repent or believe, but that belief is based on misunderstanding about what God has done, it leads people to believe in different Gospels altogether. So what are the Ephesians, and now us as we look to the text, to remember? Well, it's the focus of the rest of the chapter. Paul's emphasis for what he wants us to remember are basically broken into three key truths. The first that we'll look at today, that we're to remember that, we're, that we, we were Gentiles outside of Christ. And specifically, we were without insight or hope in Christ. Verse 11 and 12. We're to remember, second, what what God has done for His elect through Christ. This will be the focus of verse 13 through 18. And finally, to remember who we are now becoming in Christ. Verse 19 through 22. The first of these, again, is our focus today. And with it, one of the key aspects of the gospel This is because the good news is only good news in light of the reality of our desperate need for Christ. To rightly appreciate the good news, we must understand the bad news of our being dead in sin, and therefore rightly separated from the Holy God. Notice in verse 1 of chapter 2, Paul says, You were... He's going to talk about the bad news, who we were apart from Christ, who we were in our sin. And now in verse 11, similarly, he says, remember that at one time you. Paul's pointing them back, giving them a clear understanding of the bad news first. The gospel is only good news if you have a right view and appreciation for the reality of the bad news. Paul consistently circles back to the reality of the former state apart from Christ because when our testimony and self-understanding has this rightly in view, then the gospel of our Lord is all the sweeter and game-changing. In question 68 of the Word of Truth Catechism, we're given a clear answer for what is the gospel. I want to read that to you now. The gospel is the good news of the grace and power of God to redeem undeserving sinners to eternal life through Jesus' perfect, sinless life, substitutional, sacrificial death, and victorious resurrection from the grave. These sinners are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, from the eternal wrath they deserved, and they are reconciled into an eternally secure relationship with God. Praise be to God. Remember, the gospel is news that you don't just hear and accept and then move on. No, it's a kind of news. That changes the person who puts their faith in it. It changes everything about them. The word gospel comes from the Greek term evangelion. An evangel was news of such a great historical event that it wasn't just news you heard and then forgot and moved on. No, it was news that changed the listener's condition, required a response after hearing it. A constant reminder for what we were saved from is not only good for our testimony to others, to be clear, to help people understand they're dead in sin, desperate for a Savior, but it's also good for our worship and for our protection against self-righteousness. For if or when we lose sight of our former helpless, damned condition, when we were dead in sin, then we can begin to believe that our current state of righteous living is a result of our efforts to do the right thing instead of being totally dependent on Christ. Not only to save, but in everything we do today and moving forward. We saw this in last week's sermon about the, the good works we are created by God to do. It is God who is ultimately behind all the good we do, church. Paul says in Philippians 2, 12-13, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Church, The call to remember our former condition and what we deserved in our sin is a huge source of humility and gratitude. May we be oh so grateful for God's grace and divine plan to save us and make us alive in Christ. With that, let's look to the layers of emphasis for what God ordains Paul to help his brothers and sisters in Christ remember about our former condition he says in verse 11, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. There are two layers of separation that Paul first emphasizes here. The Gentile Christians Paul is writing to in the region of Ephesus were outsiders In two distinct ways. They were Gentiles, and they were in the flesh. One deals with horizontal separation, the other with vertical separation. The horizontal separation was from the old covenant that God made with ethnic Israel. Paul refers to them as Gentiles. This most simply means they were not Jews. Gentiles, a simple way to think of who are the Gentiles is anyone who are not ethnic Jews. This matters because prior to the finished work of Christ and the establishment of the new covenant, the covenant that God had made with mankind was focused on the nation of Israel and the commands that they must obey in order to be in good temporary blessing provision from God. To remind you of the Old Covenant, let me read the answer, question 58, from the Word of Truth Catechism. What is the Old Covenant? The Old Covenant is, was a temporary covenant made primarily with Israelites and was defined by the Abrahamic Covenant, conditioned by the Mosaic Covenant, and focused by the Davidic Covenant. This covenant offered temporary blessings— but did not offer eternal life through promises, types and shadows it taught about the messiah who was to come to fulfill the law, establish the new covenant and redeem the elect there was a very special relationship god had with ethnic israel and or anyone who fulfilled the requirements of the old covenant But those who were Gentiles, who were non-Jews, were not concerned with the things of God and the covenant he had made, in many ways because they didn't know about it. In other ways because they were heathens who just didn't care. And as a result, they missed out on the horizontal blessings that God made available in the Old Covenant. The second emphasis of Paul here is to point out how the Christians in the region of Ephesus that he's writing to, were separated from God because they were guilty sinners who lived in the flesh. He calls them Gentiles in the flesh. We've seen this already in our study of Ephesians and elsewhere in Scripture to remind you of a few of the ways that Scripture speaks to this. Our separation from God because of our sin, because of our enslavement to the flesh. We were, as Ephesians 2.1 says, dead in sin, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. We were enemies of God. James 4.4, 4, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. <clears throat> we were separated from God, as Isaiah 59.2 says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. Nothing we did was righteous in our former state, in our flesh. Romans three ten through 12 none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. These are no small indictments. They show we were carnal in every way. We were dead in sin, enemies of God, separated from God, and nothing, absolutely nothing we did was righteous and unto His glory in our state of sin, in our flesh, apart from Christ. Now before Paul goes further into the, their depraved condition outside of Christ He addresses one of the common political or social ways That the Gentiles were considered outsiders Look with me in the second part of verse 11 Let's read the whole verse Therefore remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh Called the uncircumcision By what is called the circumcision Which is made in the flesh by hands Paul's using language here that once again points to the Old Covenant and the fact that the Gentiles lived outside of it. The Old Covenant is defined by the Abrahamic Covenant, which is also called the Covenant of Circumcision. God ordained to issue a physical sign within this covenant, which was male circumcision. Circumcision was the sign of the covenant. We read about this in Genesis 17, 9-14. Male circumcision was the physical or natural sign of being in the Old Covenant. Understand with me that this sign and condition was only a covenantal reality for the time of the Old Covenant. Under the Old Covenant, circumcision was commanded and critical for those who would obey God and be included in His promises. Genesis 17, 14, any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So for the Jews, this outward sign was the major identifier of belonging to God's people and his covenant promises. So much so that they would look down on anyone outside of the covenant. That is why Paul says in Ephesians 2, verse 11, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. The Gentiles, non-Jews, were called the uncircumcision by those who were faithful Jews in the Old Covenant who called themselves the circumcision. Now Paul brings clarity that this circumcision was only physical when he says is made in the flesh by hands. While the Jewish sentiment was that their outward practice of circumcision conveyed holiness and secured a place in favor of God, that was the Jewish sentiment, Paul had come to know through his own salvation in Christ that the outward circumcision of the flesh was of itself in no way saving or securing of one's eternal status with God. In the way, Paul says, he is made in the flesh by hands. He is in some ways mocking the Jews and sympathizing with the Gentiles for how the Jews looked to the Gentiles with such disdain. And in many ways, Paul is saying, this was your former condition to put up with this from the Jews. In this, he's also pointing out the insufficiency of physical circumcision for salvation. Remember, all of the old covenant pointed to the Messiah. And the only way one is truly and fully saved is by faith in Christ alone. This is why Paul says in Galatians 5:6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Or in his letter to the church in Philippi, Paul takes the title and rightly applies it not to ethnic Jews, but to true Israel, who are all of God's elect, speaking of those who are saved. In Christ, he says in Philippians 3.3, For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. While many choose today to still circumcise their male, male children for health or for preference reasons, we need to biblically understand we don't need to do this for any spiritual or religious reasons in the new covenant. That said, Paul is simply highlighting here the outsiderness of the Gentiles. They're outsiders from the people and the promises of God in the old covenant. And he continues to highlight their former identity in verse 12. Look with me. Ephesians 2.12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise. Let's focus there before we look to the latter part of that verse. This is not talking about the union a believer has with Christ in salvation as the Jews didn't have that either, simply because they were Jews. No, Paul is emphasizing that the Gentiles were without any knowledge of the promised Messiah, as they didn't have the covenant insights that ethnic Israel had by being God's chosen people of the old covenant. Therefore, the Gentiles didn't have faith in Jesus, or love for Him, or communion with Him, or subjection to Him, they were without any promises of him, his gospel, his government, his laws, and prophecies concerning him. This is more associated with what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 9, 4 through 5, when speaking of the advantages that the Jews had, saying, They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Romans 9, 4 and 5. Did you catch Paul's emphasis in verse 5? From their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ. This is speaking of the privilege the Jews had in the fact that the promised Messiah came from their lineage. It is also pointing to the fact that the Christ came to the Jews first and then the Gentiles. In many of these ways, the Gentile pagans' perspective left them outside of knowing or hoping in the promises of God, especially related to the coming Messiah. This is significant when considering the former position of, of the Gentiles, Gentiles being all nations outside of ethnic Israel. Why is this significant? Because Christ is the only Redeemer of men, the only mediator between God and man. So to be without knowledge of Christ or hope in Christ, hope for Christ, is to be without knowledge of redemption, without hope for redemption, Or access to God. This is a sobering reality. And still is for any current unreached people group in the world. Who does not have the special revelation of God in His written word. Or specifically the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed to them. This is the reason church why we are so committed to supporting and or sending missionaries to plant churches in unreached people groups. We, the redeemed, the church, have been commissioned by God and under the authority of Christ to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded us. So understand with me that for the Gentiles Paul is writing to and those who precede them in history, the Gentiles who precede them, there was a special revelation and relationship that God had with ethnic Israel that he didn't have with the other nations. This was a true privilege for Israel. And we see it show itself in many other examples in Holy Scripture. For example, Jesus himself sheds light on what Paul is saying here when Jesus interacted with the Samaritan woman at the well. The Gospel of John, chapter 4. She asked Jesus about the proper place to worship, on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Jesus replies in John 4, 21-22, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. This was Jesus' way of highlighting that God sovereignly chose to reveal himself to ethnic Israel in a very special way in the Old Covenant. And as a non-Jew, she's outside of knowing these things. We use the word conversion often describes someone who has left one religious belief system to take on another in our modern day society. Largely this kind of transition uh, often involves a National conversion as well, meaning to embrace a nation's religious beliefs, was to first embrace that nation and become of that people. We see an example of this in the Old Testament, in the testimony of Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite foreigner, a Gentile, who had been married to the son of a Jewish woman named Naomi. When Ruth's husband died during a time of famine, Ruth pledged to return with Naomi to her land with her, even though Naomi urged Ruth to return to her own people and their gentile gods. But listen to Ruth's reply in Ruth 1:15 and 16. Or Naomi's first and then Ruth. And she These are truly beautiful words from Ruth as she wanted to join Naomi so she could worship the God of Israel, the true Jehovah. But notice she doesn't go first to the thing she longs for most, which is God, by saying your God will be my God. No, she orders things correctly as it relates to her conversion when she says your people shall be my people and then your God will be my God. This is again because the one true God had revealed Himself and committed Himself in the Old Covenant to the people of Israel and specifically the descendants of Abraham. Now, all that said, all all of that looking into the way things were viewed and were done according to the Old Covenant. This is helpful insight into the way these things were and why Gentiles were separated or alienated from these things. While this was the understanding in the culture, then, hear me clearly, true eternal salvation is for all kinds of people, and if they're truly saved, they're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, having nothing to do with what people group they're from. For God's word is clear to say that his people, his eternal people, his elect, will be of every tribe, tongue, and nation. Paul's point in all this is to highlight the cultural exposure for the pagan Gentiles was lacking the promises of God that he made with the Jews. This was a huge disadvantage for all who were not Jews. Again, understand with me clearly this morning. While there was a lack of exposure to the promises of God for the Gentiles, and while there was a need to adhere to the requirements of the Old Covenant to be obedient to God, conversion to a certain people group is not needed for salvation. Not then, not now. Only faith, in the one true God and his saving work through the only Savior, Jesus Christ, is how anyone is saved. For those in old covenant times and now in new covenant times, salvation belongs to the Lord and is through faith in Christ alone. Paul's emphasis in all of this in verse 11 and 12 is pointing to the stark reality of all those who were outside of Christ, specifically those who did not even have a view of Christ, the Savior, as they were dead and desperate for the grace of God and the perfect work of Christ. And Paul really hammers this home in his last words of verse 12. Let me read the whole verse again. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, Strangers to the covenant of promise, covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. These are potent words, church. More so than maybe we realize on the surface. Consider with me for a moment. All of the most terrible things that you could hear someone say about you or that you could believe about yourself, what are those things for you? I would contend one of the worst places to be in all of life is to be without hope. When you don't have hope, you don't have anything. You don't even have reason to live. So in what ways were the Gentiles without hope apart from Christ in every way. If God is the source of every good thing, as James says in James 1.17, every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. If this is true, then life or eternity without God is to be without anything that is truly good. This is the deepest cut. The most sobering words Paul says about the Gentiles' former state. To not know the promises of God, to not temporarily know the work of God among men through the Old Covenant and His work in the commonwealth of Israel, to not know the promise for the Redeemer, the only true hope for mankind, the only true hope for mankind to have a true and lasting relationship with God is to not know hope. This is a huge reality for the former state of the Gentiles. Sure, they may have had longings for temporary things. Things that in the temporary, they, they, they put their, their hope in. That common blessings among mankind. But in all of these things is no lasting hope. For in all of the created is only temporary things, only fleeting things. For all that one might lean on, apart from God, is temporary and fleeting. Consider, for you, maybe a marriage, a child, a job. Money in the bank, a skill, a home, a car, one's health, and on and on. They are all temporary and fleeting. If Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 is a picture of our helpless condition apart from God, then Ephesians 2, 11 and 12 is a picture of our hopeless condition apart from God. Pastor Sinclair Ferguson says it well when he contemplates why Paul is so emphatic to tell his brothers and sisters in Christ to remember these things. He says, should they not rather forget these former things now that they are Christians and have entered into the blessing described and. Chapter 1 verse 4 A view of Paul's writings throughout the New Testament helps us remember that both Jew and Gentile are prone to pride. We experience the grace of God, but in our sinfulness begin to believe secretly that there were just that we were just the kind of people who merited it. Paul seeks to safeguard his friends against such spiritual amnesia. We need His Word of God echoing regularly in our minds. Remember who you were. Don't forget where you came from. And all that you have become and all the blessings that you enjoy are entirely of God's grace. You are by nature a helpless and hopeless Gentile. We had no hope, church, for anything lasting for eternity that is good apart from Christ. No hope for God. This was our sad and sobering position before salvation. And it remains the sad and sobering condition for all who remain outside of Christ. But there is good news. Christ came and died and rose again. The risen Savior is why we have living hope that is guarded by the power of God. 1 Peter 1.3 In Christ the saints have the full assurance of hope until the end. Hebrews 6.11 As Paul says in Romans 5.5 5, Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hear me clearly today. Real and lasting hope is only found in God. Our hope is in the life, the death, and the resurrection of God the Son. This is our focus in the annual calendar as we come together next Sunday for the start of what we call Holy Week. Beginning with Palm Sunday, and then Good Friday, and then Resurrection Sunday. Church, we will not be shamed. We will not be disappointed Christian, is your hope built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness? Do you dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name? On Christ is the solid rock we stand, and all other ground is sinking sand. The good news is truly good news because the bad news about our helpless and hopeless and absolutely damned condition outside of Christ was real. Christian, Paul is saying, remember this is who we were. And he's about to say, remember who you are because of Christ. Peek with me at verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Praise God for the good news of saving grace in the perfect work of of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. If you have not trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord, and you are seeing this gospel news, this work of Christ, this grace of God today, and it is good news to you, it is for you, then repent of your sin and trust in Jesus alone for salvation and be saved. Be connected and committed to the local church to be equipped, to be discipled, to be raised up, that you will live your days for His glory with Jesus as Lord of your life. Church, let us worship Him, for He has set us free. Our chains are broken. Salvation has come in Jesus Christ. Church, let us testify the reality of death and sin apart from Christ and eternal life because of Christ for all who repent and believe in Jesus alone for salvation. To God be the glory today and forever. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you, God. Praise you, Lord. Father, we thank you for your holy will, for your act of amazing grace. We thank you for the the perfect work of the Son, life without sin, substitutional, sacrificial death on the cross in our place, victorious resurrection, ongoing intercession for the saints. We thank you, Lord, for the work of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, for regeneration, conviction of sin, ongoing sanctification. Oh God, we worship you. And we are humble today to to be reminded of what we come out of, to to be reminded of our ignorance, to be reminded of, of our lack of hope. Of our being dead in sin, our, our alienation, ultimately from you. God, we are thankful for what you have done. We see we have no hope outside of Christ. Let that truth ring and move and mobilize us to not be quiet with our testimony but to be steadfast. And Lord, let us make the most of these days that you've ordained for your purposes, for your glory. We rally now to sing of amazing grace. Be praised, be honored. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.